trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is where wrong thinkers of all stages of development gather to revel in wrong think, to question the narrative, to get a firmer grasp on reality, and then to ask ourselves, what can I do to make the world a better place? In spite of some of the things that we may be fighting against or standing for or just simply, you know, working our way through. I know it's a pretty lofty goal, but you know what? I find purpose in it on a daily basis, and I'm glad that you, for whatever reason, have found this little uh, broadcast or podcast. So let's dive in. Let's talk about a few things that uh, that are worth consideration, although I'm not going to say this is this is what you have to believe, because ultimately you are the one who gets to decide whether this is a value to you or whether it's something that yeah you can go ahead and live without. Saw the uh, video yesterday of a Pfizer executive caught on video discussing the company's interest in mutating the virus, that's the COVID virus, in order to keep the vaccine cash cow alive. You would think that would be pretty big news, right? And yes, it was Project Veritas that, uh, that caught this, this doctor talking about this. But you don't hear a lot from corporate media outlets right now. I don't know if they know how to react to this. I mean, the video itself is, is pretty damning. I'm going to share with you just a few insights from Deborah Hine from AmericanGreatness.com. She says, Pfizer executive Dr. Jordan Tristan Walker was caught on video discussing research that involves mutating the COVID virus to help the company develop profitable new vaccines. Now, Project Veritas released the bombshell video on Wednesday night featuring Walker, who is the director of worldwide research and development strategic operations, and an mRNA scientific plan and mRNA scientific planning at Pfizer. Now, that's a pretty important title. And this doctor is explaining how the company is exploring ways to get around the ban on gain of function research by doing what he calls directed evolution research. Now, there's a, there's a quote here from James O'Keefe. This is from his tweet. We've obtained internal Pfizer documents verifying Jordan Walker as Pfizer Director, Research and Development of Strategic Operations. Graduated Yale in 2013, Doctor of Medicine at University of Texas Southwestern Medical School. His supervisor reports to Mikhail Dolston, who reports to Albert Borla, who is the CEO of Pfizer. Interesting. <clears throat> By the way, I'm pretty sure that this was a Tinder date that the doctor thought that he was on. I'm not Tinder, Grinder. So it, that, that's, a, that's a gay, you know, dating app, swipe left, swipe right, you know, depending on, you know, who you want to connect with. But uh, Dr. Walker says one of the things we, meaning Pfizer, are exploring is like, why don't we just mutate it, meaning COVID, ourselves, so we could create preemptively, you know, develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, there's a risk of like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating effing viruses, Dr. Walker told an undercover Project Veritas journalist over dinner. Now, he was talking with another former Pfizer employee, so he felt safe, especially when you have non-disclosure agreements you think other employees are safe to vent to and talk to. 
Walker said that directed evolution, evolution rather is different than gain-of-function research, which involves making pathogens and viruses more lethal and virulent in a laboratory. Directed evolution is defined as a method used in protein engineering that mimics the process of natural selection to steer proteins or nucleic acids toward a user-defined goal. So the doctor told the Project Veritas journalist, you're not supposed to do gain-of-function research with viruses. They'd rather we not. But we do these selected structure mutations to see if we can make them more potent. There is research, Sean, going about that. I don't know how that is going to work. There better not be any more outbreaks because Jesus Christ, he says. Now, the doctor shared what he knew about his company's plans for more COVID vaccines and implored the, Veritas, Ver, the Project Veritas journalist not to tell anyone about it. He said, from what I've heard, they, meaning Pfizer scientists, are optimizing it. That's the COVID mutation process. But they're going slow because everyone is very cautious. Obviously, they don't want to accelerate it too much. I think they're also just trying to do it as an exploratory thing because you obviously don't want to advertise that you are figuring out future mutations. And then he says, don't tell anyone. Promise you won't tell anyone. The way it, meaning the experiment, would work is that we put the virus in monkeys and we successfully cause them to keep infecting each other and we collect serial samples from them. Now, the doctor also admitted that the original COVID virus was likely created at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He said there is a risk. You have to be very controlled to make sure this COVID virus you mutate doesn't create something that just goes everywhere, which I suspect is the way that the virus started in Wuhan, to be honest. It makes no sense that this virus popped up out of nowhere. It's BS, he said. Walker suggested that Pfizer scientists are trying to develop new strains of the virus so when new variants pop up in populations, they can try to catch them with a vaccine prophylactically. He said part of what they, meaning the Pfizer scientists, want to do is to some extent to try to figure out, you know, how there are all these new strains and variants that just pop up. So it's like trying to catch them before they pop up and we can develop a vaccine prophylactically, like for new variants. So that's why they do, that's why they like do it in a, do it controlled in a lab where they say this is a new epitope. And so if it comes out later on in the public, we already have a vaccine working. Now, to this, the Veritas journalist said, oh, my God, that's perfect. Isn't that the best business model, though? Just control nature before nature even happens itself, right? Yeah, if it works, Walker replied. Because some of the times there are mutations that pop up that we're not prepared for, like with Delta and Omicron and things like that. Who knows? Now, the doctor went on to refer to the COVID virus, which is responsible for millions of deaths and uh, the destruction of worldwide economies, or at least prompting political authorities to destroy worldwide economies as a cash cow for Pfizer. He said, either way, it's going to be a cash cow. COVID is going to be a cash cow for us for a while going forward, like obviously. Now, the Project Veritas journalist replied, well, I think the whole research of the viruses and mutating it like would be the ultimate cash cow. Dr. Walker agreed, saying, yeah, it'd be perfect. Now, the doctor went on to admit that pharmaceutical companies and government officials, such as at the Food and Drug Administration, have mutual interests that are not in the best interest of the American people. In fact, he told the Veritas journalist that Big Pharma is a revolving door for all government officials. So in the pharma industry, he says, all the people who review our drugs, eventually most of them will come work for pharma companies. 
arguing that the same is true for any industry. And in the military, defense government officials eventually work for defense companies afterward. Walker said the revolving door is pretty good for the industry, to be honest, but it's bad for everybody else in America. And the reason it's bad, he explained, is because when, the, because when the regulators reviewing our drugs know that once they stop regulating, they're going to work for the company, they're not going to be as hard towards the company that's going to give them a job. Now, the article points out here, regulatory capture, many doctors and scientists argue, has led to the approval of Big Pharma's risky COVID shots, resulting in millions of vaccine injuries and deaths throughout the world. Now, if you really want to have your mind blown, you should uh, click on the link that takes you to an encounter that Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe had with Walker after the video broke. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see what a cornered animal looks like, holy cow, this doctor absolutely has a meltdown when he realizes he's been played and has actually, he's given away the farm. He spilled his popcorn right there in the movie theater. And there's nothing he can do about it. It's crazy. I mean, he flips out. He's, oh, what have you done? You have effed up. You, I mean, he just, he wants to threaten. He wants to bargain. I'm just a liar. I was just lying to impress somebody. That's what you do on a date. You know, and just anything. Because he's likely violated his non-disclosure agreement. He knows he's, he's spilled the beans on something that Pfizer most certainly would fire him for doing so. Maybe he's opened himself up to criminal prosecution. At one point, he is black. At one point, he calls the police and starts talking about, there, there are five white people here, and, and I'm afraid they're, they're in a Starbucks or something. I mean, it's, it's horrifying, and it's also pathetic at the same time, if you can imagine those two things taking place at once. At one point, he grabs the iPad on which uh, James O'Keefe is showing him, here's the video of you saying these things that you said, He takes it and throws it to the floor, tries to smash it. And then he doesn't want them to leave. He wants them to stay. He wants the cops to arrest him. He's doing anything he can to to pretend he's the victim. I mean, it's it's almost a a sad thing to watch. Like I say, it's what you would expect to see with a cornered animal that realizes it's caught. Now, there is no escape. But, uh, you know, rather than let's all, let's all relish, you know, his discomfort and, you know, his anguish at realizing he's, he's been caught. What the heck does this say about Big Pharma? What does it say about the FDA and other regulatory agencies? Hmm. We've got some questions. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Look, I hope it doesn't seem too, uh, you know, self-serving to talk about this this Pfizer doctor who absolutely, I mean, look, Project Veritas has caught some people on video saying some incredibly damning things. This is possibly the most damning thing they have ever caught someone saying. And it's, it's going to be very interesting to, to see. Um, I noticed there, there were a couple of accounts on Twitter that had pulled the video, but I don't think Twitter itself is suppressing the video. I've just been kind of watching mainstream news to see, is there anybody talking about this so far? Crickets. And can you blame them? I mean, it's, it, it is really, well, you know, they deceptively edit these kind of things. But I'm telling you, the guy's meltdown actually speaks volumes about, uh, holy cow. 
That is that is not the behavior of a person who's like, look, there there is a misunderstanding here. I'm sorry, I led you on or I misled you to believe something. It's full on panic. A rat that cannot leave a sinking ship. Crazy stuff. Like I say, it leads us to a place where now, okay, we've got some tough questions to consider and, and to answer. And that leads us to, well, leadership. And whether you like it or not, your leadership is needed right now. And maybe not to solve this particular question, okay? And that's that's fine. But I can promise you with some of the growing chaos and upheaval in various areas, and, and you don't have to look far to find it, okay? I don't, I don't need to spell it out for you. Your leadership is needed. Got a great article here from Dan Sanchez from the Foundation for Economic Education. And it's about Leonard Reed's Three Levels of Libertarian Leadership. I ran into this a few years ago, the the uh, Reed's uh, levels of leadership, but it's worth going over just to kind of assess where you and I are and and how we might better our efforts to to provide, you know, good, solid leadership at whatever level we were, you know, comfortable leading. Leonard Reed, Dan Sanchez writes, identified three levels of libertarian leadership. Now, to achieve the first level, he says one must understand the freedom philosophy enough to personally refrain from advocating or participating in violations of liberty. A first-level libertarian leader leads by example. This is how Reed put it. Do not underestimate the enormous influences set in motion by a person who refuses to sanction or promote any wrong action. Pronounced exemplary qualities have unbelievable radiating powers. The individual who gives no offense to libertarian ideals, even if he be utterly silent, attracts emulators, sets high standards for others to follow, end quote. So Dan Sanchez says to achieve the second level of libertarian leadership, one must be able to articulate the freedom philosophy well enough to influence those who come within one's own personal orbit. Now, this may include one's family, friends, colleagues, it may also include people you meet on the plane, at a dinner party, etc. In the digital age, it could also include people you're connected to on social media. Now, to achieve the third level of libertarian leadership, one must be such a beacon of clear understanding and exposition of the freedom philosophy that others seek out your tutelage. They follow your published works. They look for opportunities to learn from you through conversation. Now, Dan Sanchez says it is unwise and perhaps impossible to skip any of these levels. If your understanding of liberty is so flawed that you endorse violations of liberty, then you will not be able to accurately explain the freedom philosophy to others. And if you lack conviction and thus fail to practice what you preach, your hypocrisy will put off potential students and your actions will speak louder than your words. And as Reed stressed, even though the second and third levels of libertarian leadership involve articulating liberty to others, the focus must be on the improvement of self. At the second and third levels, the libertarian leader articulates his understanding for others as an, under, as an exercise rather, in honing and testing that understanding, and so as to share what he's learned in case his audience finds it valuable. True teaching is teaching, I'm sorry, true teaching is learning out loud and true leadership is by example. There is so much wisdom in that sentence alone. And I've, I've seen this uh, actually for myself. 
True teaching is learning out loud. True leadership is by example. Education and leadership isn't really the direct improvement of others. It's self-improvement that inspires and equips others to emulate by pursuing self-improvement themselves. True leadership is modeling, not meddling. Dan writes, once libertarian advocacy becomes about inflicting your wisdom, as Reed put it, on others in order to look smart or to humiliate ideological opponents, well, then while you may have advanced your career as a libertarian demagogue, you've disqualified yourself as a libertarian leader. Intellectual vanity is incompatible with intellectual leadership. He says, genuine leadership is an outgrowth not of arrogance, but of humility. The meek, in other words, the humble, will inherit the earth. Because it is a humble devotion to self-improvement that brings about true improvement in others and actually makes the world a better place. I'm including this article in today's show notes. I hope you'll take the time to click on it, read it for yourself, and really ponder what he's saying here. I think Dan is 100% on target. And I say that not just because, wow, he used words good, they make sense. I mean, he, he, he's an excellent writer. But I've also seen this play out, and what he's describing is absolutely real. I'm guessing most of us have a pretty good idea of, you know, okay, these are the things that are compatible with liberty, the principles and practices of liberty. But, you know, simply knowing what's compatible and what isn't, I mean, it's a good start. We all have to start somewhere. We also have to improve our ability to convey that to other people. And this is the tough part. And I've been through this. In fact, I still think I I struggle with this. Once I know something or once I feel like I've, uh, I've gained understanding of a particular principle, I want to share it. Not so I can look real smart. See how smart I am? Just because it's a value. But the way that I share it sometimes, if I'm not careful... It can be inflicting that wisdom on people. I've learned this with my wife. There, there are some topics that I, I, I really have to think before I bring them up. Not because she's anti-liberty, but there are some things that people just aren't prepared to hear or to consider. And so you got to choose wisely the time and place that you're going to share a particular thing. And, and actually, I, I love that uh, Leonard Reed pointed out, the way you really know that you have gained a grasp of the principles and practices upon which liberty is is predicated, you'll start to see people seeking you out. And maybe it's not going to be you wake up every morning and there are masses waiting outside your door. Please, master, speak to us. Tell us, you know, share with us your wisdom. You know, it's not like that. It's more like you have people reach out to you. Hey, what do you think of this article? Or, hey, I was wondering, do you know much about this? What's really amazing, and this, is, this has actually happened a few times, is when you have elected individuals, be it at the local or the state or county level, <clears throat> reaching out to you and saying, I wanted to get your take on this. I have to give credit to a, a legislator. I'm not going to name him, but when I lived in southern Utah, um, I really took the time to start going to, you know, city council meetings and trying to be more active and more involved with those who were elected as representatives. And, and again, not just, you know, so I can go show them how smart I am, but just to make sure they knew who I was and what I stood for. And I was very pleasantly surprised on a couple of occasions when those elected officials would come to me and say, I just wanted to get your take on a particular item. 
And, you know, it, it wasn't even they were looking, you know, for something, you know, to agree with. In fact, maybe they disagreed with me. But whatever I was doing was enough that they at least wanted to see, what, what do you think about this? I mean, that's, that's humbling when something like that happens. And then that's when you really want to know, do I, do I understand this as well as I should? But like Dan Sanchez points out, again, it's not about, you know, I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. It's more like I am going to be as informed as I can become. And from there, the chips are going to fall where they may. All I can tell you is that the more you work to improve yourself, the more likely you're going to find that there are opportunities for that, uh, that improvement to be put to use as leadership. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, thank you once again for tuning in today. I know there are many choices, lots of good choices, by the way, voices that you can listen to, sources that you can read, you know, that you can study to to better understand what's going on in the world. And I I certainly don't uh, claim to have any kind of a corner on the market of truth, like, oh, yeah, I'm the only one you can trust. There's only one approved way of seeing the world, and it's my way. But I'm a guy who likes to... I like to have a little bit broader perspective of what's going on, and what I hope to contribute to your understanding of the world is not all the answers, I'm not going to neatly tie it all up for you with time for commercials, but just a little bit broader perspective than what you had before. And again, that's entirely contingent on whether or not you find this information useful or not. So that's as low pressure as my cell gets, but I I do spend the day looking for good information, And, and by the way, I have to give credit. Not only do I spend the day looking for good information, but I have wonderful listeners who spend the day looking for and finding great information, which they in turn share with me and then I share with you. And there are too many of them to, to start naming all the names, but I just want you guys to know I, I so appreciate and love you for doing that and being eyes and ears and helping me find good sources of information. This is not about, oh, yes, uh, this is building a monument here, you know, and uh, this is making this the one true show among all shows. This is about all of us helping each other find our way home in the dark. And I just need you to know I've got to give credit to, to the people who are doing this, who don't, ne- don't yet have a platform of their own, or maybe they're just not comfortable, you know, talking to people. I have a little bit of practice at the whole rah, 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 <laughs> talking to people thing, so that's... That's fine, but uh, I so appreciate their help. Thank you. I don't say that often enough, but uh, I'm taking this chance to do it. All right. I want to shift gears here for just a moment. It's, uh, it's not name-calling to note that a great many people were brainwashed into accepting medical tyranny. I mean, come on, we've had three years now to look back on things, and I, I would like to think we've learned something. We saw things starting to get weird about this time three years ago, and it just got weirder and weirder. And then finally, come mid-March of 2020, the bottom fell out. I've got a great article here from Jessica Marie Baumgartner, and I think she has a very solid take on forgiving the medically brainwashed in the post-COVID era. Now, she says medical tyranny starts with medical brainwashing. Millions of Americans and individuals around the globe have been misled into believing that a series of vaccines, which did not go through the typical five to ten years of standard testing, are safe and effective. The very same way they were misled into believing that abortion is health care. 
anyone who trusts their leaders, the mainstream media, and the majority of doctors, believes these lies. It's unfathomable to them that medical professionals or elected officials would mislead them on such a mass scale. But she says they have. And she says, well, I refused the vaccine because I crunched the numbers myself during the pandemic, interviewed various doctors and nurses, and reviewed countless studies without having them interpreted for me. I was once this naive. Now, she says, I'm not vaccine hesitant due to selfishness, stubbornness, or paranoia. She says, I'm against mass medical experimentation without consent. And this stems from my horrific abortion experience. She says, the summer before my senior year of high school, I got pregnant. I was not raped. I was not sick. The baby was not known to be suffering. I was just young. I wanted my baby. I talked to the little one, rubbed my belly and dreamed of being a mother, but the father didn't want the baby. He was a few years older and more concerned about what his parents would think. She says, mine was the first generation that was raised to think that abortion is health care. My health class wasn't focused on overall health. It was a sexual education and only that. Although abstinence did come up, it was barely touched on. We learned about contraceptives, date rape, and abortion in great detail. Now, she says, I was living with my unstable father after surviving an abusive relationship and attempting to kill myself. Like my ex-boyfriend, my father lacked self-control. He enjoyed binge drinking and had a temper. There was no way I would discuss the situation with him. All of my friends agreed with my boyfriend. They told me that abortion was my only option. They made me ask myself, how will I graduate? How will I support a baby? She says, my sister listened to me and offered more of a shoulder to cry on, but even she supported the idea of abortion as I considered killing the little life that grew within me. Planned Parenthood ads were everywhere. The more I discussed it, the more young women in my life confessed their abortion stories. They even expressed how sad and painful it would be mentally, physically, spiritually, but they did so as if that was nothing compared to struggling as a teenage mother. So she says, I went to my mother and she questioned me, but she supported the idea and even drove me to the clinic. And then she says, I cannot express the depression I went through. I'll never forget the moment that life ended. I could feel my eight-week unborn baby detach. And she says, there's nothing more terrifying, no pain so great as the emptiness that filled me. And that pain never goes away. She says, it's stayed with me for 20 years now. I will always think of my first baby. I will always wonder and beg for forgiveness because I chose to do something I knew was wrong. Yes, I was coerced, but I did it. She says, I could hate myself and punish myself forever, but that will not change anything. I'm one of many women who experience abortion regret, and lately I'm finding similarities between myself and those who are experiencing vaccine regret. Now, although they are very different medical scenarios, she says part of the reason I questioned the pandemic from the start was because I lost faith in the medical industry after my abortion. I've been raised to question everything and never put all my trust into large governing bodies, but that experience, she says, gave her a truly different perspective. And throughout the past three years, she says, those of us who refuse to submit to medical tyranny have been bullied, vilified, even had our rights taken away for simply choosing not to inject our bodies with experimental substances. And she notes, it's easy to be angry with our friends and family members who allowed this, but they are not where the true fault lies. The brothers and sisters who thought there was a true plague, the mothers and fathers or grown-up children who nagged their loved ones into taking the shot, 
were misled. Most everyone I know who took it did so in order to visit loved ones in hospitals or nursing homes because it was required. They were manipulated by the medical industry, and those who pushed through unconstitutional policies are the ones who need to be tried and charged for violating the Nuremberg Code. She says the everyday individuals who believed what they were told did so because they had no reason to think that anyone would experiment with their health and wellness. They were scared, and though they do need to accept some responsibility and support everyone who stood strong in the face of adversity, if you are truly understanding, or if they rather are truly understanding and apologetic, she says they are worthy of forgiveness. People like my mother, she says, who took the shot in order to visit her elderly sister-in-law at the nursing home, are now suffering. She developed a strain of cancer that may be linked to the shot. A colleague of hers who only got the shot to see her father in the hospital after he was rushed to ER for a life-saving non-COVID-related surgery developed myocarditis shortly after receiving the injection. She says my mother-in-law was a nurse who retired in fear of the pandemic. She not only got the shot and at least one booster, but she advocated for it and now has pericarditis. And these are just a few of the many cases affecting her loved ones alone. The long-term side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine still are not entirely known. And she says it's a terrifying prospect, much like the struggles I carry knowing that I could have found a better way to care for my baby instead of having an abortion. But the bottom line is, she says, we were lied to, coerced, and nothing can change what we did. I cannot resent the people who watched the news and were constantly brainwashed every day because, like them, I allowed medical coercion to ultimately sway my decision. Politicians, celebrities, and the mainstream media have normalized abortion as if it's nothing. And it's the same way that they're trying to normalize sudden death and cardiac arrest in young people. Taxpayer funding has gone into offering free testing, low-cost or free COVID-19 vaccinations. And the Biden administration once again extended the COVID-19 pandemic emergency this month, even though people are waking up to the truth. Just as taxpayer-funded abortion has been marketed as birth control and necessary, the COVID-19 shots are likely not as safe and effective as claimed. So those of us who regret their medical decisions of the past are no different than those who are now realizing that they were lied to during the COVID era. And she says we can help each other through our struggles by offering forgiveness as we seek legal consequences for those who abuse their power to instill medical tyranny. Again, this is Jessica Marie Baumgartner. That's a pretty powerful article. And I know that some people may kind of recoil from there, yeah, but how can you compare abortion to, uh, you know, to getting the vaccine? I think she makes a pretty strong case. Some people will lie or will misrepresent in order to advance their own agendas. And I definitely think what she's calling out to those who persuaded her to have an abortion on undoing, I think that she's right to call them out on that. I see the parallel, too, between people who were manipulating others into getting the vaccine without knowing the risks involved. And I also agree with her, forgiveness is a much better route than simply anger. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. If you haven't subscribed to the show notes, I make it as simple as possible. All you have to do is go to my website, thebrianheidshow.com. When you see the show notes, click on it. Down at the bottom of the page, there's a subscribe button. I'll ask for your email address, and that's it. I'm not going to spam you. I don't have tons and tons of stuff to send you. But uh, about five days a week, I think I do it Monday through Friday, just about every day, I do this program, and I will send you my show notes so that you can, at your leisure, take a closer look at some of the different articles or links to the different guests that I may have on the program. Now, I'm taking a risk in what I'm about to share with you because I understand not everybody's going to see it this way, and this may not strike a heroic chord with some folks, but... Have you heard the story about this Utah doctor who helped patients free their kids from vaccine mandates? I'm pretty convinced this guy is actually a hero. And uh, thank you to Jordan Schachtel from the uh, Dossier Substack for writing up this story. The the headline is uh, Feds Prosecute Utah Doctor Who Dumped Out MRNA Shots and Worked with Parents to Free Kids from Vax Mandates. So at the request of uh, patients, Dr. Michael Kirkmore swapped the experimental gene therapy for saline and offered vax cards for mRNA-free patients. Now, at the height of the COVID hysteria, parents in Utah were faced with enormous societal and personal pressure to vaccinate their children with COVID-19 mRNA shots. For fear of having their kids prohibited from attending school or various extracurricular activities, many of these parents took the plunge on the experimental gene therapy shots despite zero evidence showing that it had any positive benefit to kids whatsoever. Schachtel says for the vast majority of American parents, the choice was either have their children take the shot or face being ostracized by many elements of society. There really was no third option. But for some lucky parents... However, they found an advocate in a Salt Lake City area doctor named Dr. Michael Kirk Moore Jr., who had a plan to provide relief from the tyrannical mandates. Behind closed doors, Dr. Moore, a board-certified plastic surgeon, and some of his team at his private practice crafted a plan to help parents defeat the mandates. Assisting in this humanitarian operation was office manager Carrie D. Burgoyne, receptionist Sandra Flores, and Moore's neighbor, Kristen Jackson Anderson. Over the course of this undertaking, Dr. Moore and his cohorts allegedly disposed of over 1,937 doses of COVID mRNA shots and signed off on hundreds of vaccine cards. The government's allegations against Dr. Moore were expressed last week with an indictment charging Dr. Moore with running a COVID-19 vaccine scheme to defraud the government and CDC. By allegedly falsifying vaccine cards and administering saline shots to children instead of COVID-19 vaccines, not only did this provider endanger the health and well-being of a vulnerable population, but also undermined public trust and the integrity of federal health care programs, wrote a Health and Human Services special agent in the indictment. HHS OIG remains committed to working with our law enforcement partners to hold accountable bad actors who attempt to illegally profit from the pandemic. He added this defendant allegedly used his medical profession to administer bogus vaccines to unsuspecting people to include children, falsifying a sense of security. Now, while the government alleges that uh, Dr. Moore was charging $50 for the Vax cards as part of a for-profit enterprise, that claim is emphatically denied by individuals with knowledge of Dr. Moore's operation. 
The dossier spoke to several individuals with knowledge of the program who could not speak on the record because of the current proceedings against Dr. Moore and his team. All of those sources, however, insist Moore did not make a single dollar from the program. One source noted that he actually spent money out of his own pocket to facilitate it. So not only did he make money, did he not make money, rather, he depleted his own bank account to pull off the endeavor. Multiple sources added that some patients insisted on compensating him for his work. In response, he advised them instead to donate the funds to a charity he supported but was not involved with. Multiple sources also wanted to make clear that this was no rogue bait-and-switch operation. In other words, the patients were fully aware of the process the entire time. Some parents requested that their kids receive injections of saline instead of simply dumping out the shot so that their children would be out of the loop of what was going on. According to the sources, the government's two aforementioned major allegations are categorically false. The defendants made their initial court appearance uh, yesterday. If convicted, they face a maximum sentence of five years in prison. Now, there was a, a te- uh, Dr. Moore's team provided this statement to the dossier substack. Dr. Michael Kirk Moore and his staff will plead or have pled not guilty to all federal charges. They broke no law and harmed no person. Dr. Moore specifically aided by his law, abided by his long-held Hippocratic oath to first do no harm. We believe he and his co-defendants will be found innocent of all charges. We believe this case is unprecedented and threatens the individual constitutional, God-given individual rights and freedoms of families, parents, children, employees, business owners, and Americans in all walks of life. We look forward to presenting our case. Every day we are strengthened and overwhelmed by the thoughts, prayers, and support we are receiving from members of our local community, colleagues in the medical profession, from our fellow Americans across the country, and freedom-loving people around the world. Now, again, I'll grant you, not everybody is going to see this as a heroic thing. In fact, uh, people who prefer, you know, the taste of the state's boots are going to think that's the most despicable thing ever. Who do they think they are? But I'm going to just, I'm saying this coming from the side of, I know very well people who were, were desperate to keep their jobs, but also were being, you know, They were on the horns of a dilemma. Look, you either take the jab or you lose your job. So I know plenty of people who were looking for ways that they could satisfy the appearance of having taken this experimental gene therapy without actually having to put themselves at risk for something that really had no long-term track record to look at as to whether it really was safe and effective. And yes, there were people within the medical industry who were willing to work with those, and I'm talking, we're talking good. These are not shady, back-alley abortionist kind of people. We're just talking about quiet people who said, if you need this fulfillment, if you need to have this uh, fulfillment of uh, getting the vaccine, I can make sure that you get a card indicating that you have received the vaccine. And it was never for, yeah, but it's going to cost you a thousand big ones, you know, no funny stuff, no cops, you know. It was just something that was done quietly, to try to satisfy a system that was unrelenting in its coercion and pressure to get people to take the jab. So I tend to agree with what Jordan Schachtel is saying here. This wasn't a case of a doctor duping people and, well, they thought they were getting the vaccine and instead he gave them, you know, saline. These were concerned parents who were like, I'm not going to allow my child to be pressured into this. I'm not going to be pressured into it against my own informed consent. 
And this good doctor provided a pathway whereby they could get that coercive pressure off of them without actually having to put themselves at risk. Well, that sounds very selfish, does it? I mean, (laughs) with that kind of an attitude, I can only assume that when the cattle cars showed up to take you to safety, you'd be at the train station on time, just like you were ordered. It takes guts to stand up for your freedom. And it takes incredible courage to stand up for the freedom of others. And of course, uh, doing this requires defying that uh, medical government system, which I think tyranny is is a good descriptor for what happens when government and medicine lie down in bed together. So I would love to be on the jury when Dr. Michael Kirk Moore has to go to court. What a shame that he's got to go through the inconvenience and cost and all of the, you know, mud rake, muck raking and, and uh, you know, denouncement that comes with a federal trial. But I think what this guy did was absolutely 100% heroic. And those who helped him, I think we're doing it uh, for the right reasons. See, but I, I understand. I, I think of things a little bit different. It's not about, well, you know, is he a troublemaker? Do you, do you just support people who are troublemakers? It's not a matter of uh, he was trying to be a troublemaker. It's a matter of who the hell allowed the system to get to the point where it would push people to where they would have to resort to something like this, either for their own health or for their child's health. They would have to engage in some kind of a deception in order to avoid, you know, who knows what, myocarditis. Maybe nothing would happen. But that's a pretty big roll of the dice, wouldn't you say? The problem isn't with, with Dr. Moore. The problem is with those who would use the system, whether it be the medical st- system, whether it be our system of governance, to try to force people into a dilemma where their only choice is you either submit to this or be ostracized and possibly unemployed and otherwise punished for following your conscience. I don't know, it seems pretty easy to me, but then again, I'm a simple guy, so maybe I'm oversimplifying. Thanks again for tuning in today. Check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. We'll talk again next week. This is The Brian Hyde Show.